Welcome to the J2 Hub podcast, where we focus on everything from property development, hot entrepreneurially business topics, and real-life scenarios facing business owners just like you and I. Brought to you by James Sahota, we bring you exciting real-life property, business and entrepreneurially related hot topics, and that little bit more. So welcome everybody to another episode of the J2 Hub podcast. This sunny afternoon, I'm joined by an individual who's been on the podcast scene with a few people in the past. Uh, and I really wanted to get him onto my podcast because I wanted to talk about this person himself, what he is as a person, where he's been, what he's been doing. Although he does some fantastic things in the finance sector, I am going to touch on that a little bit later and kind of pick his brains on uh, where he thinks the mortgage uh, the mortgage arena is going and what the state of the market is. But before that, I want to really deep, kind of get in deep and and work out who he is as a person and what makes him tick. So lo and behold, um, I have Shaz Ahmed here this afternoon from Where is Shaz? Welcome, Shaz. Cheers, James. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. No problems at all, mate. I've been trying to get you uh, on this podcast for a while, but it's it's never happened because you've been far too busy for my podcast going on all the other podcasts, haven't you? <laughs> I <laughs> but you know what they the say? To last year. <laughs> if I could read your mind, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> it's because we're making cheesy dad jokes, basically. <laughs> That's it, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so, Shaz, you know what? Like I was saying in the intro, I want to find out about you, man. I, I, I've listened to quite a few podcasts that you've been on. And yeah, there's no denying it. You know finance inside out. You know products. But I really felt from the other podcasts that people didn't really um, talk about you, you know. And it's almost as if they just uh, kind of bypass Shaz as a person and move straight to the product bit. So I want to do it backwards, man. I want to talk about you. Shaz, tell the listeners who is Shaz? You know, we know where Shaz is, but who is he? And tell me your life from kind of 13, 14, growing up to where you are now. Give me the journey. The journey, the story, um, the source. So, <laughs> you know what? I think like I've, I've been lucky. I've had always had supportive parents. So 13, 14, school, the usual stuff, man. Good grades, you know, hard worker, confident, all that kind of stuff. But I've always been really creative, like, in terms of graphic design um, and that element side of things, I always look to design things, always really restless and, and hyperactive. And then I went to uni. So in uni I did, uh, so again, this, this is a key conversation in my life. So time to do uni, what are you going to study? You know, you've got decent grades, what do you want to study? And of course my parents want me to do, you know, be a doctor, <laughs> be, be a solicitor, be, be somewhere to lead somewhere. And I was like, mum, you know what? I want to do media studies. She's like, what, what, what does that mean? I was like, yeah, yeah, because, you know, like, I really enjoy media. I enjoy, like, creating things, and I'm really interested in it. Okay, okay, son. Is that going to lead to a good job? What's that going to mean at the end of it? And I was like, I, I don't know, but two of my friends are doing it. Um, one of them is Asian as well, so that helps, you know. Um, I really want to do it. And she was like, if you think you can make something of it, and if you're going to enjoy it, then carry on. So did media studies worst three years of uni ever you just watch films and you watch other people's content and there's no real learning it's just like this is an example of good content make something similar as opposed to any kind of teaching uh, or methods but i learned how to process photos in a dark room which is always going to be useful never <laughs> <laughs> so after uni i thought now I've, now I've got a degree you know 
let's let's get a job in media how does this work and every job is like yeah work for free for like six months work for free for a year and then we'll think about keeping you on and i'm just like that isn't what i want to do at the time i was working for virgin media this is a standard call center job tech support turn it off turn it back on again great it works and let's move on but in terms of work i was if i'm honest i was pretty comfortable i wouldn't say i was lazy but i was really comfortable um, but they made us redundant. So then it was you know, time to get uncomfortable. But when I got redundant, again, mum and dad are like, there's no rush, you know, do what you want to do. If you want to take six months out, if you want to just chill, you can chill. It's your choice. Do whatever you want to do. I was like, nah, I should probably get a job. <laughs> so I started work. That's when I got into finance. So I started working for Lloyd's Banking Group. And that was in, their call, again, call center work. And you know what, you look back, and I said this on someone else's thing before, at the time, it's a good job. It's like, yeah, I could be a team manager, I could be seconded, I could be you know, doing overtime, I could be like getting some actual responsibility. But really, they're just kind of job titles to keep you happy when they think you're exceeding what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So the job itself was um, customers calling in, James, hi, I'm James, what's my balance? Hi, James, it's £10. And then trying to entice them to buy something else, like a savings account or a credit card or how, something. How did, you know, how did you know my actual balance? <laughs> <laughs> I know I know a lot about you, James. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's a sales job. And that, again, that's where I really realized I'm good at sales because I don't do the usual salesy stuff. And that's how I'm doing quite well now. So people call in, you just have a chat with them, see what they will talk about, mention they can look at other things as well. And if you get them a credit card or a loan or a savings account, you get some commission. And that was the job, did really well, you know, hit all the targets, everyone's happy. And I think, yeah, you get to a point where it's like, look, I've reached in this role as much as I can. So either you leave or they try and slot you in somewhere else. So it's like, oh, let's make you a team manager for six months to conman and, you know, that'll help. So we did that, of course, because I was comfortable. I'm not leaving any time. But then two of my best friends, um, they had left and they joined Barclays Mortgages. Mm-hmm. And they were like, Shaz, you, sh- you should come here. It's more money. You know, it's, it's, a qualif- it's a qualified job. You get to do your CMAP. They'll pay for your CMAP. What on earth are you doing? You're silly. Just come and join us. And I'm just like, boys, nah, I can't be bothered. I don't want, I don't want to do that. It's too much change. What if, what if, you know, risk, risk, risk. Because I'm quite risk averse. Um, but it all came to a point where, I was just like, yeah, I'm not enjoying this sales job, this sales job anymore because I'm just hitting the targets without even trying. There's nothing else to achieve. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? So I handed my notice in and they weren't very happy. And I remember actually, this is one of those deep, dark secrets. I remember the last day. So I was um, given like a team manager secondment thing. But I remember the last day, so I was like, guys, I'm leaving. Here's my notice. I'm leaving tomorrow. Either the last day or the day before last, they called me into a meeting saying, oh, Shaz, um, yeah, we know tomorrow's your last day. However, you can leave now because we don't think you're putting in any effort today. I was like, you guys serious? Because I, I, I'm always 100% effort. Like, that's my thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That, uh, you know, you can go now. And I know it's because they were really, really pissed that I was leaving uh, the place. So you left. Um, yeah, and then I joined Barclays a, a good, like, six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. So Barclays, again, call center. And that's the thing. I think with a lot of um, a lot of my friendship crew, a lot of young, you know, people my age at that time, 
you'd work in a call center as an easy job unless you were doing your lawyer, your solicitor, your doctor kind of career. But Barclays is good. They paid for your CMAP, um, which not a lot of businesses do, not even now. And then, you know, I think the issue there was there wasn't much sales involved. It was, but it was good process-wise. So you learn about compliance, learn about anti-money laundering checks, learn about processes and systems. But in terms of how you get the clients, they were just calling in. It was, you know, they were calling in. They wouldn't want to speak to Shaz. They want to speak to Barclays. So mm-hmm. you had to rigidly stick to their processes and their kind of T's and C's. And off you go. And whilst I enjoyed it, I really wanted to get back into kind of selling something and get my personality out there and so on. But I was comfortable. <laughs> so I had no plans. However, they, uh, they made us redundant. So that's my second redundancy. They were moving all the jobs to Liverpool as well, not even offshore, to Liverpool, right? So there seems to be a bit of a pattern here, Shaz, if I can just stop you. You got so comfortable that you wouldn't leave <laughs> until yeah. they literally forced you out. Forced me out, I know. I'm too comfortable. So, um, yeah, they moved jobs to Liverpool. And that, again, I think was one of the key turning points is like what I did next. So uh, I saw a lot of people at Barclays have been there for like 15, 20 years because it was a good job for life as they imagined it. And everyone was panicking, like, oh, my God, we're being made redundant. What are we going to do? We can't get another job. And I was like, guys, look, one is a C, you've got a CMAP qualification. That actually means something, right? Secondly, we're getting six months gardening. You're getting paid to do nothing for six months. Just chill. You know, take a month out. Relax. You're, and you're going to get more money than I am because you've been there nearly double the amount of time I have. So just chill. You know, it'll be fine. So, yeah, whilst everyone's panicking, I just took six months off and I set up uh, the, the, the burger business. Okay. Which will come on to as a side, as a side kind of uh, distraction. <laughs> um, <laughs> set that up. And yeah, took took the good six months off, spent time with my kids. And it was good. It was good. I think I used that time to just be me and just be easy and just you know, enjoy life. Because mm-hmm. when I get into work, I get really into work. Because <laughs> yeah. I work, tend to work all hours. But then, yeah, after the end of the six months, there was a, a mortgage company hiring. And that was like six minutes down the road from my house. You know, I could walk and walk to work. And so it was easy. What is the chances of that? I know. So I went for the meeting, but the guy was talking about things like HMOs and and like buy to lets and commercial. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I I know exactly what you're on about. Didn't have a clue because we didn't do that in Barclays, you know. But I was like, yeah, yeah, I could pick this up. I could learn. Not a problem. You know, try your best. Um, It was an employed role. But I think a lot of it, you'd have to act as if you were self-employed, a lot of work out of hours. But it was fine because I definitely saw the value in it. And uh, there was a few of the brokers in the business who were making a lot of money and enjoying it. And it was like, yeah, fine, this will definitely be good. Uh, I left that place April, uh, end of when the end of, end of the year last year. Did they so, make you redundant? No, no, no. no. <laughs> you actually left on your own course. I left. Yes, we had a we had a mutual decision just to leave. Okay, <laughs> right. Just just checking. And, just checking. Uh, yeah, no, that wasn't redundancy. Surprisingly enough. So yeah, left that place. Um, I had a three month stint at a, a mortgage packager, where they get business from other mortgage other mortgage brokers, and I was like, can't do that because I want to speak to the customers. I want to be in front of people. I want to network. You know, that's how I've been doing it mm. for the last year. And then yeah, so Morgan, who's the managing director at GPS. We've been in touch all throughout anyway, like in the mortgage world, it's quite small. And in uh, South Wales, 
there's a lot of mortgage brokers. Everyone knows everyone to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. So Morgan's always like, Look, if you want to do something, you know, doors always open. It's just, I'm happy to have a chat whenever you want. So I rang him and actually I quit. You know, the, the three month job that I had at a packager, it was, it was literally eating me up. So I quit that job without anything else lined up because I knew I couldn't do that job. Mm-hmm. I was just, this isn't me. Like, um, so yeah, called Morgan. I said, Morgan, let's have a chat. I'm ready now. And he just called me in the office. Like, fine, you can start from tomorrow. It's self-employed. I'm not going to give you any kind of retainer or anything like that. You know, I'll give you as much support as you want, uh, but it's all on you. Head first, you know, go in. And here we are, man. It's worked out for the best. I really, I think that a lot of that as well, going deep end, has meant I'm doing all of that working, going all in on social media, you know, using all the sales things that I know. Because mm-hmm. people say to me, you know, are you you're in property and I'm like, I'm, I'm in property to a certain degree. I'm probably more into sales. I think I'm more of a, it's more of a sales job as opposed to a, a property job. Mm. Um, but that brings us to today, man. Like, you know, I was in Pakistan when lockdown happened and all this nonsense. We're back now and we're busy. Um, but I wouldn't change what I'm doing. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. And I think it's a lot of meeting different people. And actually I enjoy meeting people where I'm not going to do any business with them because it's, just again, so much easier to have a chat. There's no ulterior motive. You are just mm-hmm. talking about what they want to do, their desires, uh, their values, and so on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, it all sounds uh, all sounds very interesting. So, just to recap, so what I can gauge is you did the whole university thing that every you know Asian or Indian yeah. is kind of expected to do. You know, yeah. for for anybody listening who isn't an Asian or Indian, you know, your parents really expect you to get an education or, or get a degree as they like to call be it be a doctor know? be a barrister be be you know an op an optician at worst just be an optician it's like yeah, yeah, I yeah. Have no interest in that and you know the, the, nowadays they'll even consider a vet you know a vet has yeah. been added to the list as well you know as medical a, as medical a, professional <laughs> as an honorable job yeah. but yeah it's, it's the same with me man you know down here in london you were just expected to be good at school kind of half behave yourself get out get a get a degree get a job, get married, get a mortgage, have a house, have some kids and just do that for 45 years of your life. And that's it. You wasn't expected to do anything more. Um, and it looks to me that you would have possibly have got quite comfortable if you hadn't been made redundant. Do you think you may have still been in Barclays if there was an opportunity to carry on working up the ranks? Um, def- I think so, yeah. Because again, with Barclays, you get to a certain point where you, you're hitting all the normal targets at that role. And then it's a case of, yeah, we'll move you into this. It's side, sideways promotions just to keep you busy and motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that, I think, uh, again, in terms of like, you know, our culture, there's a lot of that work ethic where you'll just keep your head down, get the work done, go home, keep your home life at home, keep your work life at work. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd never come into work and say, my cat's ill, I can't, I can't work today. <laughs> but do, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but, t- but Tommy down the road would. <laughs> Potentially, Yeah. <laughs> so Shaz let me ask you about the the burger joint you took six months gardening leave you did a lot of chilling but you obviously didn't do that much chilling because you set up a whole new business you know the burger place so tell us a bit about that a lot of that um if I'm honest is down to my brother-in-law so he came over originally from Pakistan Uh, he got married to my sister Mm -hmm. and literally one of the first things he said was look I don't want to work for anyone you know I'll, I'll do that now because I need to get some money and I want to get a mortgage and whatever, but I'm not going to work for anyone. That was his mindset. Um, and now he's got like 
10 to 12 different takeaways and restaurants uh, in South Wales. Wow. So that's his business. So what, what they do, him and his business partner, and it's quite clever, is every other business he'll set up, they'll have a third person on board, and that person is the working partner. So they'll have money involved, but also be there daily. Because his thought is if someone's got money involved, they're definitely going to make the effort as opposed to an employee or a staff member, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I think makes sense. So, yeah, um, obviously I had a lot of time on my hands and I had some money saved up. Um, and he's always looking for new ideas. Like, Shaz, you know, what about this? What about this? And sometimes they're terrible. I'm just like, look, stop it. Like, that's, that's a bad <laughs> idea. But, and I was like, oh, listen, like, you know, I'm always going to like Birmingham or Manchester maybe sometimes for a good burger or steak. Birmingham more often than not, you know, you've got some good places there. I was like, why don't we just do something more local, you know, halal, so it'll be a little niche and, and we can have a big place. And he's up for anything. He's like, look, if you think it's going to do well, yeah, let's, let's do it. But you're going to have to be the working partner. I was like, okay, fine. Because again, I didn't plan for any further than that. I was like, you're fine. So we invested quite a bit of money in that, set that up. Um, and it did really well. I think the challenge I had was I was the working partner. So I had to be there pretty much every day even if it's about an hour half an hour to make sure things are in fine mm-hmm. and it's manageable to a certain degree but when you're self-employed which i am now or in the other role where i was employed but doing stuff out of hours it gets like well you've got to make a choice you know you, what what do you want to do um and i had some good advice from another broker um who's doing really well as a shazler you know i can see on your social media at that time and i can see when you're speaking to people you do mention your burger shop a lot because it's great, but what do you want to be known for? You know, do you want to be known as the guy who's got a burger shop and does mortgages? Or do you want to be known as this amazing mortgage broker who's got a business? You know, just focus on what you want to be known for and what you want people to think of you. Mm. And that stuck mm. with me. I think that's good advice. And, and that kind of um, changed my thought process a bit in terms of how I'm marketing myself. And that's all it is, really, social media. So I still mention it. I still talk about my burger joint but it's not the first thing I talk about. Mm. Um, it just comes up, but I'm enjoying it. And it's, it's something different, but I'm not interested in food. I'm interested. What I enjoyed about that was definitely setting up the business and staff and all that sort of stuff. But generally the graphic design, making the burgers look good, the aesthetics, you know, I'm sometimes when I'm in the kitchen, sometimes if the food doesn't look as good as the photo, I'll send it back. I'll say guys like you can't send that out because there's not enough. You know, the cheese isn't right or something. And so, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's my thing is the visuals i think food has to look good yeah yeah do you think you'll ever expand the burger shop well this is this is a world exclusive mr sahota on the j2 <laughs> podcast another one um, it's the j2 hub it's the j2 hub get it right j2 hub. my apologies my apologies i'm personally planning actually to exit out of the burger joint right okay just so i can have more time just generally more time and also mm-hmm. more time to invest so whether they expand or not, that's their choice. I think the branding's quite strong. Um, they could chain it or franchise it. Yeah. But I need my time back, man. I, I need time to invest, which I'm inter- I want to start doing because I go to all these events and education stuff. But I just need my time back. I don't want to be there every day. Yeah. No, it's nice that you've made that choice as well because I think too many times people have got their hands in so many different pies that um, everything seems to suffer. You know, you can't devote enough yeah. time to one thing. Um and, and somewhere along the line, you're going to spread yourself too thin and something's got to give. And it's good that you've identified that now because I I know you only as the finance guy. I know you've got a yeah. burger joint. You know, I know a few people have said it's a, it's a great place as well. But yeah. I've always just known you as the as the man who does the money for people. 
or Teji's man who does the money. <laughs> <laughs> He's my only client, honest to God. <laughs> but um, yeah, the thing is, like, what people don't know is, so if you're if you're a client of mine, or even if you're a potential client, and I answer your call at eight nine o'clock, which I will, I'm probably sat at the burger joint on my laptop mm-hmm. doing finance stuff, and doing that is really counterproductive, like you said. You're not focusing on one thing or the other. Yeah, that the choice had to be made, and I was just like, I'm definitely more interested in finance. I'm better at this thing, and this is where I'm heading. Does it frustrate you sometimes when you're in the burger joint and you're doing the books or you're looking at sales and you're thinking, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Um, it well to a point it did, and that's why I then made that choice. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I was also suffering from just overworking. So when we set it up initially, I was on gardening leave. But then when I started doing the job, I was working like nine to five there and then probably six to 11 in the burger shop most weeks. Now, I don't mind like hard graft is hard graft and, you know, it's worth it. But then to a point, you're like, look, what is the end goal? What's the outcome of this? Um, mm-hmm. Pros and cons, man. I, you know, time, time is one thing you can't get back. So, Yeah. And I think what um, a lot of the younger guys, you know, obviously we're regarded as the old boys because we're well into the third. Well, I'm regarded as the older boy. (laughs) You're only a couple of years younger, man. You're only a few years younger. But, you know, I think what a lot of the younger guys forget is that, you know, we've got kids, we've got children, we've got a wife. There's a there's a there's a bigger commitment there where if you don't devote your time to them as well. And that's, uh, you know, that's an area that can easily slack because you think, you know, I'm just hustling, I'm hustling, I'm hustling. Your kids are there. Before you know it, you look at your son or your daughter and you think, wow, she's like 10 now. Where did the time go? You know, exactly, exactly. And if you, what have you got to show for it? You know, you're just busy, you're worn out, you're tired. Yeah, you've got a few more dollars in your bank account. But mm. being an Asian man, you're probably never going to spend them anyway. <laughs> exactly. And people did say to me, like, look, why, you know, Shaz, if it's so much of an issue, my friends were like, why don't you just let the staff run it and you just take the income? And I'm like, for me, if I'm in, I'm all in or, or mm. not at all. So I don't want to be passive about it. I want to be involved 100% or just out. So. So yeah, I'm leaving. That's, that's literally exclusive. I think you're the first. Well, world exclusive here, everybody. Yeah, Shaz is yep. exiting the burger joint. You still get a you still get a cheap burger though when you go there, right? Hopefully. <laughs> have you, do you have a black card? I have a black card. It's, it's, but if you mention it, they will cut it up. You just it's a secret <laughs> society. You can't talk about it. <laughs> oh, I love it. So Shaz, your it's it's not it's you know it's blatantly obvious that your branding is very strong i love it i love you can always tell uh, i come from a design background you can always tell when a designer has done something because um white spacing is always right fonts are always right spacing between text is always right something's never squashed up images are placed right you know a fellow designer will always be able to tell when something's been done right just tell me where does your passion from design come from because it's very apparent in your branding that you do have a big passion for design I don't know where it's come from as such, but like I always like making things look good. I think if something looks good, then people are more likely to use it. And if mm-hmm. it's easy to use, people are more likely to use it. So I think making things user-friendly and visual. I like, so everyone learns differently, and I'm a visual learner. So things have to be clean and you know, concise and so on. Do you, do you use Canva? I, I do use Canva from time to time, but I'm more of, a, I'm more of an illustrator and a Photoshop type guy. Okay, yeah. I use Photoshop. Um, but like Canva, so Canva's like a lazy designer's tool, but it's handy yeah. for stuff on the move. But I think, yeah, consistency, making things look good. And I understand about branding, things have to look consistent and visually appealing. And yeah, I mean, I'm trying to do that with, with the mortgage brokering side of things because there's hundreds of thousands of brokers in the UK. 
I charge a fee, some probably don't, so why would someone want to use me? Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to have some to hook people in. So I think I think even when people say, yeah, no, I don't care how it looks, you know, just, it needs to work well, subconsciously you do care how it looks. You know, if it looks appealing or attractive, you're going to mm-hmm. be drawn to that first. Yeah, I'm the same. There's times when I'm preparing a design for something and I might go through two, three revisions before I'm happy with what's going out. Um, I think it's, it's the designers... You know, designers have that kind of bug where they um, things just have to be perfect, and if it's and then, not, yeah, I mean, to, to the point, to the opposite of that, though, sometimes getting something out there is better than it being perfect. Yeah, yeah, there is that fine balance. Otherwise, you'd be spending like an hour, two hours on something that could have just been out and in, in the market straight away. Mm-hmm. So, Shaz leads me on nicely to talking about finance, which I did want to touch hey. on, but I wanted to find out about you as a person first because sure. I actually care about you. Unlike Thanks. some of it, who just wants, <laughs> just wants some free advice. Anyway, so Shaz, finance. For everybody who's new listening to this, because I do get quite a new listeners, quite a few new listeners, can you give me, in a kind of nutshell, the different type of um, mortgages we have? Just a quick, just a quick run through. So let's start with you can have your residential mortgages for properties you are going to live in yourself as your main residence. You could have a buy-to-let mortgage for a property you are going to rent out to tenants. Uh, and then offshoots of that, you've got HMO, service accommodation, depending on the tenancy types. Then there's also short-term finance. So if you are looking at bridging, development, refurbishment, that's where you need the money quickly and or you are going to add value and look to refinance in the short term. Then there's commercial mortgages or commercial loans. I think the word commercial sometimes can be misleading. Uh, but Generally, commercial is more where the asset potentially is a shop or a retail unit, semi-commercial with flats above. Um, you can look at invoice financing, asset financing, which do exactly what they say. You asset finance an invoice on an asset. What I mainly deal with, though, um, and this gets me about other brokers and branding, is you ask some brokers, what do you specialize in? And they'll list everything. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, that doesn't mean anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, in terms of what I specialize in and what I do every day is I deal with property investors. So... That starts with the short-term finance, the bridging, development, refurbishment, and mm-hmm. then ends with the buy-to-lets, HMO, service accommodation, and so on, limited companies, things like that. I also do quite a lot of expats and foreign nationals as well. Mm-hmm. I guess that's my demographic, you know, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I get a lot of that as well. And I think it's interesting, the market's opening up for that as well. So property finance is, is there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. It, it depends on your strategy. I think not everyone needs to use a broker. And a, it sounds weird to say that, but if you know you're just going to buy one property, do you really need to pay five hundred quid for a broker? You may just be able to go to your bank and get what you need. But it depends yeah. if you want to build a relationship. And I think you've mentioned before yours with your broker is very good. You can just WhatsApp him and just say new property, find me a deal. Yeah, so no, I'm, someone... with, I, I'm kind of with you on that. I think I feel very much that from knowing you and seeing what you do, your clients are very much relationship based and they're, you know, you're kind of like the little man who sits on their uh, left. You you are literally the little man who sits on their (laughs) left hand shoulder. I got you there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You sit on their left hand shoulder there and you're there, you assist them. And I'm, I'm a strong believer that a broker should always be paid a fee uh, because at the end of the day, people think, okay, you're getting paid by the bank, which you are, you know, when you put a loan in, but it's not in a sense is you're getting paid to process that application. You know, you're getting paid to put all those pages through, collate all that information and present the case. 
So I always say to people that say to me, oh, well, the broker's getting paid by the mortgage company. I go, yeah, think of it as an admin fee because that's what it is. You know, they're exactly. packaging everything up for you. They're like, yeah, but they're getting like 0.01% of this and that and they're making shitloads of money while they're charging me 500 quid. Yeah. It's not about that. It's about the 500 quid goes, I feel, towards their expertise. They're going to line you up with the right product. They're going to really understand your deal. They're not going to take you through a whole process of an application if they know straight away, look, you ain't getting this money or yeah. your deal is shit simply. So yeah. I'm a massive, massive, massive fan of brokers. I think you guys do a fantastic job. Um, what's your opinions on fees? Because I know this whole, should you charge, should you not charge? Um, first of all, it's good that you said about the, uh, the the commission. People are like, oh, you get paid commission. First of all, on my soapbox, it's not commission. Uh, it's called a procuration fee. And it's on your illustration. It's not something that's hidden away. It's on your key facts document that you'll see from your, from your broker. And you're right, that the lender is paying that for the admin work the broker's doing. Otherwise, you'd have to get a full-time member of staff on a salary to do the work. So scanning in documents, filling in application forms and all that kind of stuff. Uh, in terms of brokers charging fees, like, so I, I mean, it depends on what you're doing. Like, some brokers don't charge a fee, but then I imagine they're doing a lot of volume. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also imagine potentially they're working nine till five, nine till six office hours, nothing beyond that. Whereas my phone's on all the time. I've been known to message clients 11 p.m., you know, and 7 a.m. in the morning. So it's that extra level of service that you may not get with someone who doesn't charge a fee. Um, and similarly, like my client book is actually relatively small, but that's because I'm giving them a lot more TLC than someone's doing mm-hmm. three times that business would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it also depends. So if, if, you had a, if, say, I wasn't charging a fee, so I'm based out in South Wales, um, I'd say half my clients are in the Midlands and so on, but a good percentage are in South Wales. And like Ted knows, you can buy a house for 60 grand, 70 grand. So if I'm getting, an, say, 0.45% of a loan worth £60,000, that's not enough to put you know, food on my plate. Yeah. So you've got to look at it that way as well. Um, but yeah, I think everyone's got a different business model. I think you've got to find out what works for you. But then don't be that investor who says to the broker, give me a lower fee because I'm going to give you loads of business. Well, it's like, give me one piece of business first. Let's see how that pans out. <laughs> Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree with you. You get, you get those, uh, you know, chest pumped out. Let me go see the broker. Oh, I don't want to pay a fee because I'm going to give you loads of business. But you need to realize, I think as soon as people realize, look at that commission fee as, it, like you said, it's an admin fee. You're scanning in documents. You're chasing people for stuff. You're presenting the case properly for them you know mm. you don't get a second chance at it really do you i suppose if the bank's going to say no they're going to say no because the case isn't presented properly um so yeah massive 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 fan of brokers and what you guys do so shaz is there one particular product that you find you are putting out there more than others for your clients I think the most common request that I'm getting is people doing uh, buy, refurbish, refinance, BRR. Mm-hmm. And what they generally want to do is refinance within six months. So it's not a specific product, but generally it's finding a lender who is comfortable to lend within six months, but also comfortable to actually lend on the improved value. But the issue I think a lot of people have then is, first of all, they'll claim they bought it below market value, but actually it's probably below asking price, and they're two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then secondly, they think it's going to be worth a lot more than actually it is. It's probably going to, it's going to be more of an issue now post-COVID where valuations, you can't really challenge them because lenders are saying, well, 
the comparables are not valid anymore because of COVID. So you're just stuck with what you got. But yeah, refinancing within six months, finding those options is the most common request. Um, with bridging, bridging is funny. So you say to some investors, you know, let's talk about bridging finance because that's what you want to do. You want to refinance within six months, nine months. No, it's too expensive, too expensive, too risky, right? Then you say, okay, well, what about bridge to let? And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's great, that's great, that's great. And I'm just like, well, what, what in your mind makes that different? Because it's still a bridging loan, mm. uh, still a mortgage on the back end. And they all say, yeah, yeah, the value is guaranteed. I know I can get an exit. Now, to a certain degree, yeah, you can. It means you're mortgageable, you've got a mortgage offer. But there's still a reinspection to be done. So if you don't do the work that's on your schedule of works, you ain't getting that value. <laughs> so mm. although it seems a, you know, more secure, it is to a certain degree. It's not as secure as people think, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're finding bridging and uh, refinance products within six months are the most popular? Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people with bridging don't realize they should be bridging. They'll, they've been educated or they've been told by Dave at the pub or... Mm. or Ali in the mosque, maybe that <laughs> you know you can do uh, buy refurbish refinance on a mortgage, and I'm straight like no no chance, you know. So it's like either do it the right way or just use someone else because I don't need to have these conversations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I hear you. I hear you. So obviously, this week, come Monday or beginning of this week, was probably official kind of week where most people have gone back to work and offices have started to open. You know, abiding social distancing. How have you seen anything changing this week? Has there been any release of new products? You know, what's the market looking like? Because I feel this week is the first proper week people have been back at work. What's uh, what's going on in the finance world post COVID now? Well, post slowly coming out of COVID. Speak for yourself, James. We're in Wales. We're still on lockdown. <laughs> you see, uh, are you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're in the office, but we're all social yeah. distance. But yeah, all the shops are closed. Nothing's happening really. Um, wow. But in terms of finance, um, lenders are coming back in. So it was interesting. I always find these things interesting because I wasn't working in finance during the market crash before. Uh, but it's interesting now is during lockdown and COVID, which lenders carried on lending. So you've had the likes of Paragon and the Mortgage Works who didn't stop. And that to me shows that their finances are secure. One's, bank, one's a bank, one's a building society. It actually means they've got a good funding line. And then you had lenders who completely just paused lending. So you had likes of foundation home loans mm-hmm. and their funding line is private investors who are based offshore. Um, and they just shows uh, you know, how risky they're willing to go, how secure their money is. So foundation home loans are back in the market now. Okay. Uh, but annoyingly, so they had two really good products before. One was the short-term let product for Airbnbs and service accommodation. And the other was a pre-six-month refinance product. They've come back in and they don't do either of those anymore. So it's wow. like they can come in and withdrawn that. I kind of see the the rationale for not having the short term let product at the moment because valuers don't think there's a market for it. But I think not having the early remortgage, I don't see the, the point or the benefit in doing that. But they come back in. Um, Kent Reliance, who are funded by One Savings Bank, they've come back in and they are. How do you say they're like a gateway HMO lender? So most lenders for HMO finance need you to have two years landlord experience. There's some who'll do slightly less. Kent Reliance will give you a HMO mortgage as long as you own a property, mm-hmm. um, which actually is great. So in theory, you could do a bridging loan to refurbish or convert a property 
and then refinance with Kent because at that point you own that property you're refinancing. Mm-hmm. So they've come back in. Um, previously, they were just doing remortgages. Now they're doing refi- uh, purchases as well. So And like HMOs is a big part of what we do because we deal, let's say, with investors. So I think that will pick up a lot of business as well. Um, I'm finding bridging lenders have been slightly risk averse. So obviously Together Finance have completely stopped doing whatever they were doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking the reason for that is apart from bridging, like a lot of their lending was quite risky lending. They'll lend to anyone really. And that's mm-hmm. what they were known for. Now, if anyone's going to be defaulting, it's no offense going to be their clients. So I imagine they've got a lot of mopping up to do and tidying up that loan book before they lend out new money. That's just my kind of thought on that. Well, they, um, they've, they've approved me a loan. <laughs> I, have they really? What a loan to value? Uh, 60%. Wow. You know so what? A lot so, lower than normal. But still, it's, they're really annoying because they'll deal with clients direct, which is not a problem, but they'll give you a better service than if you went through a broker. Mm. I think they've got two different teams on the back office. And if it's direct, they've got to pay out less money to a broker and so on. And they'll give you better rates, better service. So I always say they'll go together direct if the deal fits. I mean, and the thing is, it's only because I've been a customer of theirs before and I paid off a bridge early and they've never had any issues with me. And I think that's the only reason why. I mean, if I'd been calling fresh off the street, they'd probably be telling me to do one. Maybe, yeah. But it's good. I mean, I, I'm guessing they want to keep their direct clients happy. And if, you know, if you're a big, big deal like you are clearly james then yeah no hardly mate hardly (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah bridging lenders are asking for larger deposits um they're asking for more robust exits and maybe plan b's if plan a doesn't work but yeah i think bridging is it's still available but the exit's definitely definitely in question Uh, shaz are you finding with bridging that valuations are they're kind of are they still doing desktop valuations because what i've found with this recent one with together is apparently their desktop valuations couldn't find strong enough comparables, so they're actually sending a value out to site, which they don't do very often. Interesting. I mean, the ones I'm doing, everyone's had a physical valuation, but that's because those lenders weren't offering desktops. I mm-hmm. think, to be fair, I think the desktop solution wasn't a bad idea. Um, it's something that a lot of lenders should can look to carry on with because it saves a lot of time. You still pay mm-hmm. for a valuation fee, but it saves time and the bridge is only going to last for six nine months. Do they need to have a physical valuation to do that? You know. Yeah. Yeah. The I ones mean, that are would, physical. What would what would make them want to like? I mean, their 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 thing to me was like, look, we can't, we we haven't got enough data. We need to physically send someone on site, even though I sent them four or five comparables. What would make them want to send someone to site? The thing is, with the comparables, what I've had from lenders is, well, look, those comparables are pre-COVID, so they don't mean anything to us anymore. So they probably want okay. to see the actual finish, the condition. There's things you can't send, see on a desktop valve, like rising down structural issues. So they probably want a physical Got ya. Got ya. to see what's going on. So nothing to be alarmed about, really? No, no, of course not. Um, mm. unless, you, unless you've got a bounce back loan and you know, that's your source of deposit. <laughs> <laughs> Which leads me on to my next question, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, there's been, a, there's been a hell of a lot of controversy online about bounce back loans. We've had particular people posting photos of their bank balances. I'm not naming any names because I don't want to name and shame, but um, we've seen people saying, I've got £100,000, I'm going to buy a house, I'm going to be a property millionaire, all that nonsense. What's your opinion on it, mate? What do you think about bounce-back loans and people using them to buy houses? So I think from one end, the way they were rolled out was really not the best. It wasn't really clear. Um, 
you know, and also allowing people to self-certify their turnover to then be given the loan based on that. That's really bad. That's like the old interest-only mortgages where you could self-certify what you're getting and so on. So, one hundred and twenty percent mortgages those days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I can see I can see that coming up and as, as an issue when people can't repay the loans. So yeah, first of all, it's it's bad from that end. But then you've got investors, yeah, like you said, who are like getting this money, getting the full wax, so they miss declaring their turnover, um, getting up a lot of money, and trying to use it for property. Now, I can only talk facts because why not? Is um, Lenders have clearly said, if the bounce-back loan is being used as the deposit for a property, that is a no. You, If it's a bridging loan, you can use it for the cost of refurb. Other than that, it's pretty much a no. There's some lenders who have said, look, if it's a property business and that's the company that's taking the loan out, then we may consider it. But they want to make sure that when you exit onto a mortgage, that exit lender is okay with that as well. So it's a couple of things that have happened. It's like for Kent Reliance, because we're, we're quite close with them, is they've said, well, normally we normally ask if it's a purchase within six months, we normally ask for the original source of funds. But now, because, you know, people are using these loans for the wrong reasons, we might go back to nine months or maybe 12 months. So it's no good saying I'll hold on to it for six months. And then you got, you know what, it's because I have these same conversations every day. You've got investors trying different creative strategies. Like if I take it in company A, do an intercompany loan to company B, the lender to myself and put it in as a director's loan, That'll work on it. It's like, no, because you've got to show a trail of the money, like an audit trail. Lenders can and will ask. At the end of the day, it's the lender's money. They can ask you as for anything they want. You're not entitled mm-hmm. to borrow money. So you've got to fit their rules, not the other way around. Um, mm-hmm. And are we talking about mortgage holidays, James, as well? Hot topic. Uh, yeah, we can do it in a moment. But what I was going to ask you was, yeah. on, on, on the basis of the... Um, so somebody, somebody like you who's been in the yeah. finance sector for a long time now, do you feel there's going to be a massive default in these bounce-back loans when they're due to be paid back? Of course it is. Um, because if I, th- I believe if you took out the full 50K, then you get interest-free for the 12 months. And after that, I believe the payment works out about nine, just under £900 a month. Mm-hmm. So unless you've invested that wisely, you're not going to really be able to pay that back. But then... I. I'm thinking in the terms of the bounce back loan, there's no, if it's through a company, there's no personal guarantees. It's on the company. Mm-hmm. However, someone's got to pay it back. So I think if you're misusing that money, it's, it's a bad idea. And I did see an article yesterday saying that HRC have been given special powers to find people who've been not mis- misusing the loan, but actually have got X amount of money by misdeclaring their income and take the loans back. So I've seen that in the press. So I think we'll see some. We'll see defaults. Um, how that'll be handled, God knows. It'll be like PPI all over again. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, when I had uh, when I got my solicitor to have a look at a contract for a yeah. bounce back loan, he said to me, "This is the easiest bit of contract he's seen that somebody's going to be able to wingle their way out of because there's nothing there. You know, yeah. you could have been. A lot of people are going to try and say they were misgiven it. You know, and and try and wingle their way out of it. So. Um, and, you know, that's going to open up a whole new can of worms. It is, right? And that, obviously, whoever rolled that out and wrote that, those conditions, they should have thought about it. But what isn't right is uh, property coaches going on social media and doing videos encouraging that behavior. You know, so if, if your intention is to take the loan and your intention is, yeah, I'm not going to pay it back because why should I or how can they make me pay it back, then you should really consider what you're doing, like, to be honest. Mm, 
Because, like, yeah, like you say, eight, nine hundred quid, if you've taken two bounce back loans, that's a hell of a lot of money you've got to find each month in 12 months time. And it's probably not even 12 months. It's probably been a couple of months since the bounce back loans are out. So 10 months. So if that money isn't working for you in a clever way, you're going to be pretty screwed and pretty screwed pretty quickly. But on the flip side, if you if you took if you're a taxi driver and you took three grand to buy a new taxi, that actually is a good use of the loan. And actually is the spirit of the loan is to improve, help your business. Mm-hmm. Um but if you're a taxi driver, you took money in your taxi company to buy a property, that's the wrong thing to do. And mm. I don't agree with it. I'm, I mean, I'm not, look, I'm not the finance police. I sound like I am. I'm not the mortgage police, not the finance police. Just do the right thing, you know. Yeah, everybody knows what the right thing is. You know, it's, it's clearly, you, can, you, can, you know, if you need it, you need it. If you don't, you don't. And if you then, you know it's, people know it's wrong because they go on social media asking for validation. It's like, so if I do this, is that okay? Well, the fact you haven't asked, means you probably know it's not yeah um, and no one on social media should be agreeing with you or giving you the encouragement but sometimes i'm on facebook and i'm on facebook a lot because it's part of what i do daily and i'm just face palming at people's replies and people's threads <laughs> like like do do what you got to do but don't broadcast it that's yeah. the issue do you know what I mean? yeah don't you know don't take x amount of money and then start asking people for advice on uh, on a new laptop and stuff you know that's just it's just a no-no <laughs> it's a naughty it's, it's a naughty one yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's blatant, isn't it? It's too much. Like, so tell me, mortgage holidays—that was another big one. What's going mm. on with them? Have they extended them for six months now as well? I think yeah, I think they're going to extend till October, I believe. Um, so six months in total. It's a funny one, man. So like, Mr. Rishi Sunak, you know, he's 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 so popular. He's got money trees, printing off money. So these mortgage—I mean, they could, they shouldn't have called them mortgage holidays in the first place because it's definitely not a holiday. It's like a deferred payment; you have to pay it yeah. back. And then, yeah, it's not going to affect your credit score or your credit rating, which is fine, but it's still going to be reported on your credit file. And then lenders are free to underwrite that as they wish. So the feedback we've had from lenders—and this is what I mean—I'm keeping stuff factual as opposed to my opinion on that. So what lenders have said is, look. If it's a mortgage holiday on a buy-to-let property, we'll be very, very unlikely to lend. Um, and the reason for that is what that's telling us is this property investor wants to be a serious landlord property investor, couldn't even handle the month or two of voids. You know, forget COVID or, and stuff like that. As a landlord, you are going to have some void at some point in your, in your lifetime. Mm. Uh, and they say they couldn't handle it and they had a holiday straight away. Um, if it's on a residential mortgage, that's different. We can take a view on it because that's their personal income that's been impacted. But on, on a buy-to-let, I think people rushed for it straight away. What they should have done and what the government should have said is, look, if you need this money, what the first thing you should do is speak to your tenants. If they can't pay you the money, ask them to apply for X, Y, and Z because there's support available for them. If they can't get the support, it's going to take three, four months because a lot of this stuff is delayed. Then you may want to consider taking one of these holidays. Uh, but that's not how it was pitched. So I don't blame investors for it. I think it just wasn't rolled out properly. But it is impacting future lending. Well, I mean, from a personal point of view, I had a, I have got a HMO where I haven't had no rent for four months. And, you know, yeah. it's a, it's an expensive old place to run. Um, I'm owed around £12,000 on it and the tenants weren't working with me. So And the mortgage is hefty on it. So I genuinely had to take a mortgage holiday on that one because, you know, like you said, I could have, I could have, cash flowed it i could have rode it but when you've got other active projects going on at the moment or refurbs going on you think to yourself as a as a as an investor why not but yeah. it's a very good point you made that 
yes, at some point it will get flagged. And I think my only saving grace is that that HMO is the only property that I own that's outside of my limited company. So I'm kind of hoping that it's uh, <laughs> it's never seen there, but you just never know, yeah. you know? Um, what you'll find now is so lenders are asking upfront additional questions. So they're making you sign statements. So how have you been impacted by COVID? How mm-hmm. are you going to plan to cover repairs and voids? And even the lenders who maybe don't have a minimum income requirement, so Kent Reliance or the Mortgage Works, they are now asking a lot, lot more about just overall sustainability. So they might stay now saying, well, look, fine. So James is, okay, let's not say James. James owns a lot of money. Um, Alan is on 10 grand a year. That's fine. We don't have a minimum income requirement. However, we want to make sure he's got enough money to cover repairs and voids right now. Can you just evidence that? So it's a conversation I'm having a lot earlier on because you package it properly and it's not going to get flagged up. But yeah, they want to make sure you've either got something in savings, maybe three, four months worth of rent or sorry, three months, four months worth of mortgage payments in your savings just so you can cover if the worst ever happens. Mm, got you. Yeah, no, it's a bit of a controversial subject at the moment. I was, uh, it just, you know, just, just like bounce back loans, it's been all over social media. People have got all kinds of different views on it. And, you know, it almost cost me a remortgage because um, uh, we had a, we had a remortgage come through from foundation and just because we made a telephone call and left a message inquiring about holidays, didn't take it. They were like, no, we're not servicing your loan. And it's like, what the hell? And this is where a broker comes in, where a broker's got a relationship. You know, he was able to call up and say, look, my client's got enough money to pay the mortgage on this place for the next five years, even if you didn't give it to him. So it's not as if the funds ain't there, but I think it's a, even something as little as that could have cost you a mortgage. Um, and it just highlights the importance of having a broker who can speak to someone and and get the case re-looked at. Whereas I think if you're in a processing center, the minute the computer said no, the person at the other end would have just picked up the phone and said, sorry, mate, you're not getting your loan because the computer said no. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think relationships, uh, it's definitely specialist lending. So buy to lets and HMOs and bridging. It's a lot, a lot of relationship building. Um, you have to have a good relationship with the underwriters, with the business development managers, because although they don't play favorites, you know if you've got a good relationship, you can call them up and they can maybe try and swing things your way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Shaz, um, I want to ask you a question. I spoke to Safe about this, Safe Rahan. I don't know if you remember the podcast. It's something that I threw him on and he was a bit taken back that I asked him. Now, yeah. you're obviously from the Islamic faith, you know, and I know your faith is very important to you. Um, how important is your faith in your day-to-day running of what you do with finance? Because I know there is a bit of a controversy, isn't there, where there's certain things in the Islamic faith on on working with money, loans, borrowing. I know there's halal mortgages and things like that. Tell me a bit more about that, man. Tell me about the faith and how how sometimes it can impact people's decisions on borrowing money. Definitely. So, yeah, uh, in terms of the faith and Islam, yeah, we're not meant to be dealing with or selling anything that's interest-bearing. Interest essentially is is not allowed. Mm-hmm. So in terms of finance, yeah, there's options available, Sharia-compliant mortgages. My opinion on those is it's just a wrapper. They end up costing the same or even more than something that is just called interest. They just name it differently. So that's that. But they've been signed off. Um, and if it gives you peace of mind to go and do that, great. I think from my end, yeah, I'm, I'm in a situation where all I do is get people into interest-bearing agreements. So, yeah, ideally, I'd want to be in a situation five, ten years where I'm not having to do that. 
the how that happens is an interesting conversation. Um, but it's not something I've really, I've really thought too much about. I think um, faith. Because I guess, is very I guess, I guess what you just said was this: you can't sell something with interest. I guess you're doing that every single day. Aren't That's you? what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think for me, like faith is different for everyone. So for me, the pillars are just be, you know, be a good person. Mm-hmm. Your values, your respect, the belief system. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know what's interesting, especially in the Muslim faith, people pick and choose quite a lot. Like. They do it in I any faith. Yeah, so I guess I'm picking and choosing my poison here. Um, but no, I think, you know, I possibly don't practice as much as I should. Like, I don't go to mosque, I don't pray five times a day. But I should, I know I should. And maybe when I'm older, I will. Um, but as it is right now, it's, it's a weird place because, yeah, um, I mean, I'm actually encouraging, I'm actually arranging these interest-bearing products, which is completely against what I'm meant to be doing. Yeah. Um, but how, how do I reconcile that? It's, it's a conversation to have with myself at some point, I guess. You might as well just face it, you're going to hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's just do it, man. YOLO. <laughs> I love touching on that subject because, like you say, man, it's, um, I know Safe does it very, very well where the way he structures his deals is... is compl- and he's, you know, he's so, like, he won't change anything unless it if you know compromises his faith. And I've got a lot of respect for him in the sense that he does that. But you're 100% right. I've spoken to a few people and I think they pick the parts that suit them out of faith and they leave the bits that don't kind of fit in with their day-to-day running of their business and chuck them to the sides. Yeah, it's like, if because so, te- technically you shouldn't get a residential mortgage, you know, for your first house to live in. But then people kind of justify that by saying, well, such and such scholar in Saudi Arabia says, if you're in a country that needs you to have a mortgage, then you, it's allowed. So yeah, people... You can find a scholar to agree with you for anything, really. I could mm. probably find a scholar who says it's okay to do what I do because I'm not the one charging the interest, I imagine. So mm-hmm. watch this space. I'll find a shake. <laughs> <laughs> to make it all good for yourself, yeah? Yeah, no, I think, I think for me, uh, it's more about values and beliefs in terms of, like I say, just doing the right thing, being a good person, not screwing people over, those sorts of things. Because... Uh, I don't, you know, I don't look at religion in that sense. For me, it's good and bad people, and that can be from any any religion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Shaz, lastly, um, if somebody's out there looking for a new broker, what kind of questions should they be asking? Um, so, I think you should be asking them, but also looking at doing your own verification and research. So, questions to ask them is, what do they specialize in? And if they reel off a list of everything, then just that doesn't mean anything. So if you are looking, if your plan is to get a buy to let mortgage, you're looking at property investment, you want a broker who understands that market and that's all they do day in, day out. Whereas if you're buying a house to live in, you probably want someone who does residential mortgages, maybe at the back of an estate agency. It's like if someone came to me for residential mortgage, I wouldn't turn it away because I've got to make that money. But I wouldn't be as au fait with policy and lenders as I would with buy to lets. But I'm pretty open about that. I'll say, look, if you want some, if you, you know, want someone slicker, I can recommend someone else instead. So that's the first thing: is what do you actually specialize in? What do you do day to day? What's your main business? Um, second thing worth asking, especially for specialist lending, is um, are you directly authorized, or are you on a network or on a panel? So you know, when you see people on brokers on social media, and it's another one of those face palm things. It's like I have access to over fifty lenders. That doesn't 
mean anything. Um, mm-hmm. What you should be asking is how are you authorized? So, so GPS Financial, who I work with, uh, we're directly authorized. So it's us, and we're authorized to the FCA. So we can use any lender we want. It's just we handle the compliance and the anti-money laundering and all that sort of stuff. Some brokers are on a network, which means they have a specific panel they have to use. Now, for most uses, that's fine. When it comes quirky, like bridging or commercial, they can only they can't really go off panel, um, and they may have to go to a packager, which costs you more money. Mm-hmm. So those are the kind of questions to ask. Um, obviously, ask about fees. I had someone a couple of months ago, um, so I don't who was dealing with a broker who wanted to charge three grand for a bike let mortgage, right? Wow. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't charge that. I'll charge a lot, you know, I'll charge a lot less. He's like, okay, well, can you, can you knock your fee down? I was like, no, no, my fee is my fee, but obviously you've got, you know, you're speaking to other brokers, which is fair enough, crack on. He's like, oh, no, Shad, you know what? That other broker, he started at three grand, and now he's come down to, I think he said like 750. The fact that he keeps knocking it down is giving me less confidence because he's obviously just making these numbers up. So talk about fees, and if, if they're trying to hide it, if it's like a closed discussion, they're not the one for you. If someone's open and transparent and secure about their offering, you know, you want to work with them. The other thing I think a lot of brokers do, which I understand, but to me it seems a bit, what's the word, a bit insecure, is like, and I see these on, on social media, is um, they'll send you, James, I'm recommending this two-year fixed rate, 3.4%, £1,000 fee. But they won't tell you who the lender is. I, I don't. I don't get it. I'm like, look, you could Google that and find out who the lender is. So they they're not trusting you enough to say that you're not going to run away and go to someone else. Mm. But if you built up enough rapport and had a good journey with them, why would you go to someone else? And if you did go to someone else, then you weren't going to be a good customer anyway. So, uh, you know, if they're hiding lenders' names and all this sort of stuff, that that isn't a, g- a good broker for me, if I'm honest. Yeah. But I've then that, on the back of that. Yeah, and um, how does that make you feel, though? I mean, it, you know, it was it was a little bit naughty because I wanted to know um, who the broker is. You know, I want to know who I'm dealing with. Who is or, or what is the product? Where is this product coming from? I don't just want to know product one, two year fix, interest rate. This, yeah, it made me feel as if this guy is probably selling me a product where he's getting a larger fee. Yeah, and That's like I said, you could literally Google the rate and the fee and the five the fixed term, and it comes up. So, you know. It's just silly. But I would also say, once you spoke to your broker, do your own background research. Social media will give you a lot of answers these days. Look at the reviews, word of mouth, um, get some feedback. So trust people, but just verify what, what they're saying. Because mm-hmm. I can be I can be as charming as I want on Facebook and Instagram, but actually I could be a terrible broker. I'm not, by the way, but I could be. You know what I mean? How do you know? It's, it's, you've got to find out. If you were a terrible broker, Ted would have told the world by now. Honest to God, every case I'm just dreading it. I'm like, it's not my fault, it's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? Everybody could save that pain and just come directly to Shaz. Eh? Yes. You don't even have to go and look for a broker. And on that note, Shaz, where can people find you, man? Where are you apart from hiding in Pakistan most of the year? <laughs> so I think the best place to start would either be Facebook, which is, oh, and Instagram, which is the same. It's where's Shaz. So it's two S's, W-H-E-R-E-S-S-H-A-Z, where's Shaz? Okay, and you're happy to talk to people or give them a, a an overview of a product or give them a proposal? James, I honestly, the amount of uh, people who just ask me, and they'll say, just a quick question, just a quick one, and I answer it. I mean, Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, Instagram. I'll probably get less emails than I do get all the social media stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, why not answer it? Because I'm always looking for the long-term thing, so I can answer a question now. 
they may not do anything with that. And they may come back to me six months down the line because they remembered I was helpful. Mm. Versus, hi, my engagement fee is £75. Fill in this, fill in that, and I'll take a look at your file. If this is a general quick question, you, know, you can answer it. It's fine. Uh, one piece of advice as well for people is if you're doing bridging, then it's probably not advisable to go to different brokers for the same deal because bridging lenders hate it when they get the same deal for the same client from different brokers and it makes them feel that you're not a serious investor. It just feels you're fishing around. So just right, keep that right. in mind. Yeah, no, got it. Um, makes me feel a little bit bad, Shaz, because I've asked you quite a few questions and we haven't actually done any business together but I don't yet, mind but... that. You know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, you know, I don't mind that because I know then you're probably hopefully telling people Shaz is also a good broker. Feel free to come, you know, get in touch. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those ones when you've got a relationship with someone. It's... Uh, you know, I'm wait. I'm waiting for something to go wrong there, so I can just go. <laughs> you know, but yeah, at the moment yeah. things have been pretty good. But Shaz, on that note, man, I'm so glad I did this podcast with you, man. I really wanted cool. to understand who you were as a person before we went into uh, talking about finance, because I think, like I said before, I think a lot of people have just uh, bypassed the person, bypassed the human being, and gone straight into what does he do? How could you help me? What products can I get? <laughs> so, Shaz, lastly. What's one vice? What's one thing the Shazinator can't live without? <laughs> oh, what can't live without? What's one thing you need to do all the time? Your your naughty little vice. Everyone's got one. You know what? I, I eat a lot of junk food, like ice cream. Yeah. It's, it's in lockdown. I've probably gone to like 10 Ben and Jerry's, all different flavors. So ice cream's my vice. And I'm getting, because the gyms are closed, I've put on like two stone over the last month and a bit. Are you so, serious? Um, welcome, yeah, welcome to yeah. James, James's territory. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you got the beard, don't you? <laughs> that's it, mate. That's it. Cover up the little chin there. But on yeah. that note, I did have I did have my trainer reach out to me last night and say, "Hey, James, man, we we need we need to reconnect, man." I was <laughs> like, and I was like, "But look, the gyms are closed." He goes, "You can't use that excuse." He goes, "My new extension's just been finished at the back of my house, so the gym has been moved to my house." Nice. So it's like, oh, okay. You got to start, mate. But you're yeah. pretty active. You're always exercising, aren't you? Daily runs and things. Do you know what it is? I think it um, it keeps the mind healthy, man. I try to do something. If I'm not out for a run, I'll be out for a very long walk. I just I need to physically tell myself every morning that I've done something mm. to kind of keep that heart ticking. And even if it's go out for a five ten k walk or a run or something. James, the age the age that we are, we need to keep active, keep that ticker going. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> the, the younger lot will soon find out. Yeah. <laughs> But great, Shaz. Thanks very much for coming on to the J2Hub podcast. And guys, if you've got value from this podcast, I only ask one thing. Leave me a review. It's pure and simple. I'm competing with Ted so I can go up higher on the ranks. (laughs) (laughs) I ain't going to lie about it. Uh, But yeah, great. Thank you. Thank you very much again. Take it easy. Cheers, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the J2Hub podcast with James Sahota. If you like the podcast, feel free to subscribe so you never miss another podcast from James. And if you got value from this podcast, do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you consume your podcast content from. And remember, you're never too late to become something you truly want to become.